This is section 105 of Mark Twain, a biography, volume 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, a biography, by Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter 209, Plasmon and a New Magazine. Clemens was not wholly wedded to osteopathy. The financial interest which he had taken in the new milk, albumen, a food for invalids, tended to divide his faith and make him uncertain as to which was to be the chief panacea for all ills, osteopathy or plasmon. McAllister, who was deeply interested in the plasmon fortunes, was anxious to get the product adopted by the army. He believed, if he could get an interview with the medical director-general, he could convince him of its merits. Discussing the matter with Clemens, the latter said, McAllister, you are going at it from the wrong end. You can't go direct to that man, a perfect stranger, and convince him of anything. Who is his nearest friend? McAllister knew a man on terms of social intimacy with the official. Clemens said, That is the man to speak to the director general. But I don't know him either, said McAllister. Very good. Do you know anyone who does know him? Yes, I know his most intimate friend. Then he is the man for you to approach. Convince him that Plasmon is what the army needs, that the military hospitals are suffering for it. Let him understand that what you want is to get this to the director general, and in due time it will get to him in the proper way. You'll see. This proved to be a true prophecy. It was only a little while until the British Army had experimented with Plasmon and adopted it. McAllister reported the success of the scheme to Clemens, and out of it grew the story entitled Two Little Tales, published in November of the following year, 1901, in the Century Magazine. Perhaps the reader will remember that in the Two Little Tales, the emperor is very ill, and the lowest of all his subjects knows a certain remedy, but he cannot seek the emperor direct, so he wisely approaches him through a series of progressive stages, finally reaching and curing his stricken majesty. Clemens had the courage of his investments. He adopted Plasmon as his own daily food, and induced various members of the family to take it in its more palatable forms, one of these being a preparation of chocolate. He kept the reading-table by his bed well stocked with a variety of the products, and invited various callers to try a complimentary sample lot. It was really an excellent and harmless diet, and both the company and its patients would seem to have prospered, perhaps are prospering still. There was another business opportunity came along just at this time. S. S. McClure was in England with a proposition for starting a new magazine whose complexion was to be peculiarly American, with Mark Twain as its editor. The magazine was to be called The Universal, and by the proposition Clemens was to receive a tenth interest in it for his first year's work, and an added twentieth interest for each of the two succeeding years, with the guarantee that his shares should not earn him less than five thousand dollars the first year, with a proportionate increase as his holdings grew. The scheme appealed to Clemens it being understood in the beginning that he was to give very little time to the work, with the privilege of doing it at his home, 
wherever that might happen to be. He wrote of the matter to Mr. Rogers, explaining in detail, and Rogers replied, approving the plan. Mr. Rogers said he knew that he, Rogers, would have to do most of the work in editing the magazine, and further added, One thing I shall insist upon, however, if I have anything to do with the matter, and it is this, that when you have made up your mind on the subject, you will stick to it. I have not found in your composition that element of stubbornness which is a constant source of embarrassment to me in all friendly and social ways, but which, when applied to certain lines of business, brings in the dollar and fifty-cent pieces. If you accept the position, of course that means that you have to come to this country. If you do, the yachting will be a success." There was considerable correspondence with McClure over the new periodical. In one letter Clemens set forth his general views of the matter quite clearly. "'Let us not deceive any one, nor allow any one to deceive himself, if it can be prevented. This is not to be a comic magazine. It is to be simply a good, clean, wholesome collection of well-written and enticing literary products, like the other magazines of its class, not setting itself to please but one of man's moods, but all of them. It will not play but one kind of music, but all kinds. I should not be able to edit a comic periodical satisfactorily for lack of interest in the work. I value humor highly, and am constitutionally fond of it, but I should not like it as a steady diet. For its own best interests, humor should take its outings in grave company. Its cheerful dress gets heightened color from the proximity of sober hues. For me to edit a comic magazine would be an incongruity and out of character, for of the twenty-three books which I have written, eighteen do not deal in humor as their chiefest feature, but are half and half admixtures of fun and seriousness. I think I have seldom deliberately set out to be humorous, but have nearly always allowed the humor to drop in or stay out according to its fancy. Although I have many times been asked to write something humorous for an editor or a publisher, I have had wisdom enough to decline. A person could hardly be humorous with the other man watching him like that. I have never tried to write a humorous lecture. I have only tried to write serious ones. It is the only way not to succeed. I shall write for this magazine every time the spirit moves me, but I look for my largest entertainment in editing. I have been edited by all kinds of people for more than thirty-eight years. There has always been 
somebody in authority over my manuscript and privileged to improve it. This has fatigued me a good deal, and I have often longed to move up from the dock to the bench and rest myself and fatigue others. My opportunity is come, but I hope I shall not abuse it overmuch. I mean to do my best to make a good magazine. I mean to do my whole duty and not shirk any part of it. There are plenty of distinguished artists, novelists, poets, storytellers, philosophers, scientists, explorers, fighters, hunters, followers of the sea, and seekers of adventure, and with these to do the hard and the valuable part of the work with the pen and the pencil, it will be comfort and joy to me to walk the quarter-deck and superintend. Meanwhile McClure's enthusiasm had had time to adjust itself to certain existing facts. Something more than a month later he wrote from America at considerable length, setting forth the various editorial duties and laying stress upon the feature of intimate physical contact with the magazine. He went into the matter of the printing schedule, the various kinds of paper used, the advertising pages, illustrations, into all the detail, indeed, which a practical managing editor must compass in his daily rounds. It was pretty evident that Clemens would not be able to go sailing about on Mr. Rogers' yacht, or live at will in London or New York or Vienna or Elmira, but that he would be more or less harnessed to a revolving chair at an editorial desk, the thing which, of all fates, he would be most likely to dread. The scheme appears to have died there, the correspondence to have closed. Somewhat of the inducement in the McClure scheme had been the thought in Clemens' mind that it would bring him back to America. In a letter to Mr. Rogers, January 8, 1900, he said, I am tired to death of this everlasting exile. Mrs. Clemens often wrote that he was restlessly impatient to return. They were, in fact, constantly discussing the practicability of returning to their own country now and opening the Hartford home. Clemens was ready to do that or to fall in with any plan that would bring him across the water and settle him somewhere permanently. He was tired of the wandering life they had been leading. Besides the long trip of ninety-five and ninety-six, they had moved two or three times a year regularly since leaving Hartford nine years before. It seemed to him that they were always packing and unpacking. "'The poor man is willing to live anywhere, if we will only let him stay put,' wrote Mrs. Clemens. But he did want to settle in his own land. Mrs. Clemens, too, was weary with wandering. But the Hartford home no longer held any attraction for her. There had been a time when her every letter dwelt on their hope of returning to it. Now the thought filled her with dread. To her sister she wrote, "'Do you think we can live through the first going into the house in Hartford? I feel if we had gotten through the first three months all might be well, but consider the first night.' The thought of the responsibility of that great house, the taking up again of the old life, disheartened her, too. She had added years, 
and she had not gained in health or strength. When I was comparatively young I found the burden of that house very great. I don't think I was ever fitted for housekeeping. I dislike the practical part of it so much. I hate it when the servants don't do well, and I hate the correcting them. Yet no one ever had better discipline in her domestic affairs, or ever commanded more devoted service. Her strength of character, and the proportions of her achievement, show large when we consider this confession. They planned to return in the spring, but postponed the date for sailing. Jean was still under Kelgren's treatment, and though a cure had been promised her, progress was discouragingly slow. They began to look about for summer quarters in or near London. End of chapter 209, Plasmon, and a new magazine, read by John Greenman.